BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. You see pretty browns. In beautiful gowns, you see tailor mates and hand-me-downs. You meet honest men and pickpocket skill. You'll find that business never closes till somebody gets killed. If Beale Street could talk, if Beale Street could talk, married men would have to take their beds in war except one or two who never drink booze and the blind man on the corner who sings the Beale Street Blues Those are a few lines from a song called Beale Street Blues. The most famous performance of that song came from Louis Armstrong and it was written by a man named W.C. Handy, who called himself the father of the blues. Beale Street, of course, runs through Memphis, Tennessee, where Handy lived when he wrote most of his music. The blues were a cultural phenomenon in the early 1900s that changed American music forever and touched many other musical genres. So much of American culture evolved from here, particularly music in the 20th century, from W.C. Handy through the 1930s and the jug bands, and which is a mixture of country music and African-American blues music to Elvis and so on. That's the voice of Wayne Dowdy. My name is Wayne Dowdy. I'm the senior manager of the Memphis Public Library's history department and the author of eight books on Memphis history. I visited with Wayne a respected Memphis historian, to talk about his hometown. Wayne described a city founded on independence and creativity with proud residents. But the most famous moment in Memphis history is also the worst moment in Memphis history. And you know exactly what event I'm talking about, even if you've forgotten that it happened in Memphis. In 1968, a strike by black sanitation workers attracted the attention of Martin Luther King Jr., who came to the city to offer his help. 
and was assassinated on the balcony of his hotel six days later. There are two moments in Memphis history where the city changed dramatically. It was going in one direction. This event took place and it went in another. The first was the 1878 yellow fever epidemic. 5,000 Memphians are killed. Thousands more flee the city and never return. The population shifts to a more rural population, uh, rural white population, still a very large African-American population, and it changes the direction of the city. The second major event is the sanitation strike of 1968 and Dr. King's murder. The There is the Memphis before 1968, and then there's the Memphis after 1968, and they're not the same place. Memphis was founded in 1819 on the banks of the Mississippi River. It started as a small town full of men who worked on the river and a few African slaves. Though their situations were very different, these two groups of people shared the belief that each person should be able to decide for himself or herself how to live. For the white river workers, that meant small government. For the slaves, that meant taking control of their own destinies. And then you have the African-American population who, even during slavery, was not willing to accept their condition. They did everything they could to, to fight against, their, against slavery. One of the most interesting examples, there was a slave named Thomas Bland who lived in Memphis. And Thomas, like, like most slaves, could not read or write. But his owner hired a couple of slave plasterers to do some work at their house. And he noticed that one of them was writing things down on a slip of paper. And so he asked him surreptitiously, could you teach me to read and write? And he said, yes, I can. Come by my house. He was a skilled slave, this plasterer was, who lived on his own property. He was paid wages. A portion of his wages went to his owner. The rest he kept. And so he learned to read and write. So once he felt comfortable with that, he forged a pass with his owner's signature saying that he could be hired out to anyone for as long as the job required. And so he went to the waterfront, went on board a steamboat, and handed the note to, handed the pass to the, the pilot of the boat, and he hired him. A couple of days later, he's in Ohio. And he keeps on going, and he goes to all the way to Canada. And when he's in Canada, he writes a letter to his owner and says, Guess what? I'm in Canada, <laughs> and you'll never see me again. And so Thomas Bland's experience gives you an idea of how enslaved Memphians viewed their status, which is to say they're going to do whatever they can to achieve freedom, and they will go to great lengths to do so. Soon after Bland's escape, the southern states seceded, leading to civil war. Memphis was caught in a struggle that lasted beyond the surrender at Appomattox. In an 1866 incident, known as the Memphis Massacre, white Memphians went into black parts of town, killing and robbing anyone they saw. The spree lasted three days. A total of 45 black Memphians were murdered. But out of that horror comes this cooperation. It's by no means equal cooperation. But there is a dialogue, there is communication between the white and black communities 
that means that Memphis evolves in a different way. This dialogue catapulted Memphis to the forefront of the civil rights movement. In fact, Memphis had its own version of Rosa Parks 50 years earlier. Mary Morrison in 1905 was a domestic worker. And she got on board a streetcar and she sat down in a seat and which happened to be the white section of the streetcar. She was told by the driver, you got to go to the back of the streetcar. She refused. She was arrested. And after her arrest, there was a mass meeting held of African-Americans. They raised several thousand dollars for her legal defense. And with two very well-known and successful black attorneys, Josiah Settle and Benjamin Booth, they took the case all the way to the Tennessee Supreme Court. They lost, but they established a foundation of using the law to attack segregation. The law was a powerful tool for black Memphians and their allies because unlike most southern cities, black men had the same voting rights as white men. In fact, the the Tennessee Constitution that is written after the Civil War specifically says that all males, all adult males, have the right to vote. And that is never fully stripped from African Americans in Tennessee. This meant that aspiring politicians had to consider the interests of the black population. Black Memphians were elected to public office in the 1870s and 80s earlier than the vast majority of southern towns. The whole thing created what Wayne calls unequal cooperation in the city, where black Memphians held some political leverage, but not enough to overcome the rampant racism of many white neighbors. So I think the important thing is that there, unlike many places, there is dialogue between whites and blacks here not just on a sort of a street level where you might speak to, depending on where you worked, you might be, if you were white, you may have black employees and you talk to them and you have a relationship or someone, you may have a domestic servant who works in your house, but but also you would know them politically. If you were involved in local politics, if you voted, you'd probably stand in line behind an African-American who's standing in line to vote. And so African-Americans use that leverage to improve their situation, they are able to achieve some, not equality, but certainly something closer to equality that you would see in other places. Still, of course, subject to violence, still subject to discrimination. It was by no means a racial utopia. Over several decades, that unequal cooperation caused friction, and eventually the system broke down. In February 1968, Two black sanitation workers named Echo Cole and Robert Walker were crushed to death by a faulty trash compactor while sheltering from the rain. The overwhelming majority of sanitation workers were black. The sanitation union decided to strike to demand higher wages, overtime pay, and basic safety measures. Mayor Henry Loeb refused to concede anything or even to negotiate. Now, in 1968, of course, that's an anomaly in Memphis history. The fact that Mayor Henry Loeb would not negotiate with striking sanitation workers 
was actually not the Memphis way would have been to discuss this thing, to have worked out some sort of compromise. The sanitation workers wouldn't have got everything they wanted, but the white establishment would have compromised, would have given in on some things to avoid trouble, if nothing else. A month into the strike, tensions and garbage mounted. Loeb declared martial law, implemented a 7 p.m. curfew, and brought in 4,000 National Guardsmen. Martin Luther King Jr. came to Memphis to speak at a rally in support of the strikers. On April 3rd, he gave his famous, I've been to the mountaintop speech. The next day, at 6.01 p.m., King was shot and killed by James Earl Ray while standing on a balcony at the Lorraine Motel. So there was that. Whites felt that the strike and Dr. King's killing sullied Memphis's name. And in, in many ways, it did. The city was probably, the perception of most Memphians, particularly white Memphians, was that Memphis was unfairly blamed for Dr. King's death. Of course, you can argue that Dr. King wouldn't have needed to come here in the first place if they hadn't treated the sanitation workers with some equity and worked with them. So you can then draw the connection that, yes, we saw, he sort of was killed because he was here. I mean, Memphis deserves some blame for this because Memphis didn't settle that strike when they should have. The outside perception of Memphis took a nosedive, which had a major economic impact. And in fact, the, the city is described by Time magazine as a decaying river town, which is a phrase that haunts the city for decades afterward. Northern industry, which had looked to Memphis and then in the 1970s looked to Memphis for, we had International Harvester here, Ford Motor, RCA. We had some major industrial concerns in Memphis. But after Dr. King's death, no one wanted to come here. They were afraid of the racial turmoil. And the and then culturally, the city becomes a place where people don't want to don't want to come. People want to avoid it. the The New York Times in the early seventies describes Memphis as a place that never wants to change. the The South in the nineteen seventies sort of uh, rebranded itself as what they called the Sun Belt. Because it was labor costs were less, you had better weather, and so they so a lot of southern cities and, and states began to attract northern industry in a way they never had before. Well, Memphis is totally left out of that. In fact, the Wall Street D- Journal calls Memphis the Sun Belt's dark spot, and and that continues for decades. That doesn't last simply through the 1970s. It lasts through the rest of the 20th century. And Memphis emerges, Memphis has developed an inferiority complex, a chip on its shoulder. We, you can look at all this rich history and certainly rich culture of music in particular, but nobody pays any attention to Memphis, is how Memphians see it. And, and so there is anything that is proposed to be done in Memphis in the 1970s, 1980s, the average Memphian on the street would say that'll never work because Memphis just can't do anything right. 
And it was very common for, for people to view the city that way. And we were in many ways our own worst enemy because we weren't, nobody was proud to be from here. A detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You've heard the saying that time heals all wounds. And while Dr. King's death is a scar... That will never disappear. It has become a part of Memphis's story. Memphis has had to reckon with the tragedy of King's death without forgetting it. A willingness to leverage its pain into new growth has turned Memphis into a determined place. The Memphis that Wayne describes now is similar to the one he described at its founding. Now there's a fiery, fighting spirit that differentiates Memphis from its rivals. And there is a natural rivalry between Memphis and Nashville. In fact, I'd say we hate each other, which has, which is, I think, even more exacerbated now because Nashville's view of development and growth is the opposite of Memphis. Nashville is building new skyscrapers. Not to say that we aren't too, but most of our growth has been in adaptive reuse. We've been taking old buildings and creating something new out of them. I mean, we had the we the in the Crosstown neighborhood, what it, Crosstown Concourse, that was the largest Sears catalog center in the country. Sears and Roebuck being most people bought things from Sears from catalogs. So the orders would come to Memphis, they'd be filled and they'd be shipped out, sort of like what Amazon does now. And it was a major, built in the 1920s. Sears closed it in 
the major part of it in the 1970s and then 1980s, the building was completely left empty. So a group of investors, instead of tearing down, it's a massive structure. And instead of tearing it down, they renovated it. And now it has restaurants, shops, uh, a concert venue, a radio station, a major music archive is there as well. And this is creativity. This is seeing something that isn't and making it. That creativity has made Memphis the perfect home for dreamers, creatives, and independent thinkers. One of the best illustrations of that is Piggly Wiggly. Piggly Wiggly is a grocery store chain founded in Memphis by a man named Clarence Saunders. And it was the first self-serve grocery store in America. So I think the city is deeply creative in everything that it does because our culture is a culture of independence, a culture of we don't really care what other people think. We do on some level, but on the other way, we're going to do it our own way. And when Memphis has finally finally accepted that we are different, that we're not Atlanta, for example. We never will be Atlanta. We are Memphis. And accepting that has made us a much stronger and a more vibrant place because you can feel the creativity as it seeps up from the cracks of the sidewalks and the streets because and Memphis is a major creativity in the sense of entrepreneurship. I mean, the first self-service grocery store in the United States was created here. I mean, the, the way we shop for groceries today, you walk in, you find your products, you put it in a basket, you walk up and you check out. Well, groceries, grocery shopping at the beginning of the 20th century little over 100 years ago was far different. It was much more of a general store kind of atmosphere where you went in, you had to find a clerk. You said, okay, I need a pound of salt. I need two pounds of bacon. I need this. They would go retrieve the products and bring it to you. Well, you didn't know what the salt was. It was salt. You didn't know what brand it was. Well, Piggly, Piggly Wiggly, which is the name of the grocery store, and it was chosen by the man who founded it, Clarence Saunders because it would be instantly recognizable. (laughs) You hear it once, you'll never forget it. And so instead, he put all the products out on the floor and people would then bring their products to the checkout stand, which that simply did not exist before Clarence Saunders. And, And not only did it revolutionize the way you shopped, it also revolutionized America in the sense of brand loyalty. So you go in and say, okay, I don't want, I want Morton salt. I don't want this salt. And so you would choose which brand you like, which we still do today, right? And so Memphis is creative in so many ways that, and I think it would be difficult to find a more creative town. And if you took, uh, if you wrote a business plan and said, I'm going to call my business Piggly Wiggly, and then you went to a bank, and one, they would laugh you out of the bank. So that's crazy. But see, in Memphis, that's really not crazy. <laughs> Something that's unique, different, creative is far more accepted here. You might not get, you might not always get a lot of help, but no one will stop you from chasing your dream here. Doesn't matter how strange it might be. 
and Memphians will applaud you for your creativity and for your strangeness. There are no barriers here. There is no aristocracy here. There is no, there are some people who think they are, but Memphis has such a thin layer of wealth and, and influence that Memphians don't play that game. Memphians are not interested in a social register. Memphians will laugh at a social register because that is simply not how we view the world. We value people who do something, who create something. It doesn't have to be, it does have to be the greatest thing in the world, but, but we appreciate people's work here. And maybe that's unique as well. There was a president at Rhodes College who he's retired since then, but he told he had been a president of a college in Nashville before he came to Memphis. And he said, when Nashville, I knew, I discovered who were the five or six people you had to talk to in order to get anything done, the, whoever was the richest and the most powerful. He said, he comes to Memphis and finds there's nobody to talk to. You just do it. You don't have to ask anybody's permission. In fact, people look at you strange if you went around and said, well, I want to do this. They're like, well, what's stopping you? We're not talking about raising money. We're talking about just a decision to do something. <laughs> and and that's Memphis. You just do it. And there's going to be people in the neighborhoods who are going to want to help. Memphis is a very grassroots place. It's a very neighborhood-oriented place. And Memphians are very proud of their na- the neighborhoods in which they live. And the majority of them are very actively involved in trying to improve those neighborhoods. Sometimes they don't get very far because they don't they don't get the powers that be behind their efforts all the time. So again, it's no utopia, but it but that neighborhood focus, that creativity, that demand to be heard, which Memphians are constantly yelling at the top of their lungs saying, "Look at my neighborhood. This is awful." And uh, we want this. We need that. And Memphians have never been shy about, Memphians have never been afraid to fight City Hall. In fact, in many ways, the history of the city is one big fight with City Hall, one way or the other. Either to be recognized, or, to be, or for things to change, or for things to be better. The creativity, independence, and lack of bureaucracy found in Memphis has me wondering what the next invention or work of art will be that comes out of this singular city in southwestern Tennessee. In the past, one of the most well-known artistic movements was the one centered in Sun Studio on Union Street in the heart of downtown. In the next episode, I'll sit down with the head engineer at Sun in a place known as the birthplace of rock and roll. You'll see pretty browns in beautiful gowns you see tailor-mates and hand-me-downs you meet honest men and pickpocket skill you'll find that business never closes till somebody gets killed if Bill Street could talk if Bill Street could talk married men
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.